Welcome to the Helping Children Thrive podcast, where we talk about ways to improve your child's health and recovery. I'm your host, Momina Sili, and I'm a certified pediatric functional medicine health coach. At Helping Children Thrive, it is our aim to educate and empower parents and practitioners with integrative approaches to children's health conditions. Along with this hope that our children can recover, I welcome you all. Hi, everyone. Today on the podcast episode, my guest is Dr. Mary Wild, and we talk about anxiety among children and how to help support parents in helping their children with anxiety. Dr. Mary is a board-certified pediatrician. She's an author, a podcaster, a TEDx speaker, and a mom of eight. She runs her practice Imagine Pediatrics in Southern Utah. As a pediatrician, she feels passionate about helping children build resilience and considers one of the greatest ways to build emotional well-being in kids is to support their parents. She recognizes that the traditional medical model often falls short in helping families dealing with emotional and behavior issues. Let's just get into the episode to kind of understand and learn from Dr. Mary. Hi, Mary. I'm so excited to have you here today. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Well, whenever we start the show, I like to ask um, our guests what got them started. What's their story? What's their background? Um, If you could just share that with us. Sure. So I am a pediatrician based in Southern Utah, USA, and I always wanted to be a doctor ever since I can remember wanting anything in terms of direction and purpose and career in my life, but I also wanted to be a mom. And it's been an exciting journey to be able to be both of these things. Um, So I'm a pediatrician and I have, I'm a mom of eight kids. So I have a large family and it has really been an opportunity to combine both the the technical learning and the theory into practice (laughs) because we all have had the experience of having someone who has no clue about real life parenting, give all kinds of advice and, and hopefully that won't ever be me. (laughs) So I, I started out, I went to medical school, um, at the university of Utah and did my pediatric residency training at the university of Minnesota and really there was exposed to more of an integrative approach. They were one of the first programs in the US to create an integrative medicine program. And it it resonated so much with me because a lot of times the functional, or excuse me, the um, traditional Western medicine, I felt left out a lot of important pieces. So over time, I was able to get additional training in more of an integrative approach. Yeah, and I think that's why I'm so excited to, to get to speak to you because you have had one foot in each world. So you kind of know how it goes in the conventional approach, but then layering it on with an, an integrative approach to really find um, these uh, a new way to help children, right? And, and families. Yes. To look at various conditions. What are some of the things that you like to focus more specifically on conditions-wise? I have focused my practice on anxiety and ADHD 
And then I do a lot with parenting as well. So I have um, an online course also that I've created for anxiety and I have a parenting membership to really support parents because I think that's one of the most important ways to support kids. And that's all based on compassion. It's called compassion parenting. Yeah, and it totally makes sense, right? A lot of times parents leave doctor's offices with a prescription pad, but no sense of how they're going to live their day-to-day life with with a child who's struggling, Um, Mm -hmm. how how to support them, how uh, just in everyday things like school, social interactions and things like that. So I'm really glad that that's something that, that, you know, you put so much thought and effort into. Um, I wanted to just dive right into anxiety and just how can parents, first of all, start to identify anxiety in their children? Mm-hmm. And this is really an important question. Um, I think with a lot of the things going on in the world, with the pandemic, with natural disasters we've experienced, with political unrest in, in various locations, we all feel sort of anxious. And so I think a lot of parents are thinking, well, so everyone's anxious. <laughs> when does it become a problem? When when do we need to do something about it? Um And I think that it's never too early to do something about it because worries and anxious feelings can take over regardless of whether someone qualifies for a clinical diagnosis. Um, Some of the clues though, that it's especially important to pay attention would be a child that is frequently discussing and focusing on worries and fears who is very difficult to reassure. Um, also a child who practices avoidance. That is one of the biggest clues when a child seems to be motivated by a fear of rejection or a fear of imperfection. And they're starting to opt out of things that they have once enjoyed. Um, another thing, you know, sometimes those, those things that I mentioned are a little more obvious, but sometimes anxiety can also sort of come out as excessive moodiness or negativity. And it can be frustrating as a parent to, to have a child who just doesn't seem to have a good attitude about anything. And, and you feel like, oh, just buck up, just, just try to be more positive. But sometimes um, negativity can be rooted in fear. And so it's important to really be able to talk to our kids and find out what the root as much as possible is of their behaviors. And, you know, it's interesting um, that you talk about some of these more, um, more obvious um, signs and symptoms in our children, but then as they tend to get a little bit older, they start getting good at masking a lot of, um, their, their fears, their anxiety, like you said, avoidance. Um, and that is where it gets more and more challenging for parents to really like get through that glass wall that they tend to put up and, and, and get to them to try to help them. Yes. Uh, and, and so I just kind of wanted to get into how parents can start supporting a lot of their children. I know that conventionally, you know, we, we run to our doctor's offices, we run to therapists, and we tend to get a, a list of prescriptions that, you know, is supposed to fix everything. 
Um, but how can parents start to looking, look at that differently? Well, I feel really passionate about the fact that we need to step back. So often when it comes to anxiety, we get very heady. We focus on the head and I am all about stepping back and looking at the whole lifestyle and then looking at mind, body, and spirit in terms of finding a holistic emotional and physical health that is synergistic. So when I talk about mind strategies or approaches to address anxiety, these are things like helping our kids be aware of cognitive behavioral ideas, the idea that their thoughts may be distorted. I, when I work with kids, I call them tricky thoughts, that sometimes the thoughts that are really informing our feelings are not accurate. And so there, there's a list of about 10 common cognitive distortions. And we don't have to use those big words that we can translate that for our younger kids, but just helping them see that sometimes the way they're thinking like, oh, I got a really bad grade on this math test, so I'm bad at math. Or nobody talked to me on the first day of school, so nobody likes me. You know, these involve inaccurate thinking that can really contribute to how people then feel and then how they behave and then how they continue to think, feel and behave. And it just creates a cycle. Um, so the cognitive behavioral strategies are really important. Then I also do a lot with helping kids with imagery, finding metaphors that are healthy and positive. And one of my favorite things is helping them imagine a favorite place. So for example, I have done this exercise with many kids in my office and one that comes to mind, I remember this young girl and her favorite place that she created, it wasn't a place she'd ever been, it was something she imagined. And it was being in a room that had a cotton candy bed and she would lay in a cotton candy bed. And that's how she would calm herself. And I thought, wow, that seems so soft. I think of the smell of it and the color and so it just involves all the senses and and it's, it's amazing how powerful the mind can be as we shift our focus and change the things that are in the forefront things that are in the background and and give the kids the power to make adjustments I also work with kids on you know I am trained in pediatric medical hypnosis and helping them create sort of a dial or controller in their mind to dial down some of the typical symptoms of anxiety, things like shakiness or fast heart rate or sweating. And, you know, we know with biofeedback that it is possible to change our state using our, you know, setting a mental intention and focus with, with, with focus. Um, I also teach kids about mindfulness, about the non-judgmental awareness of the present moment. So sometimes it's helpful to analyze our thoughts and say, okay, what's accurate, what's inaccurate. But sometimes it's just nice to sit with our thoughts and sit with our feelings and just rest there and accept the feelings that come and not be blown over by them, but just let them be there and um, not say they're good, they're bad, but just learn from them and then let them pass through. So that's, those are the mind strategies. Then the body strategies, I teach kids about diaphragmatic breathing, 
about yoga because really the positions we put our body in affects our own mental state. We, there's a lot of research backing this up. Um, and then exercise specifically. Um, exercise has such a power to affect and, and balance our um, brain chemicals and, and help us have a sense of well-being. And then I work with aromatherapy, teach the kids biofeedback, teach them um, tapping, which is an energy medicine technique, um, using acupressure points and going through a specific, you know, script that helps process our emotions. And then getting to the spirit side, um, I really help kids reconnect with the things that give them meaning and purpose and connection in their lives. So sometimes this is religious practices. Sometimes it's service or friendships and other relationships, um, journaling, getting out in nature, doing things that they love. You know, this spiritual piece is often one of the most neglected pieces in our modern society. And so just giving kids permission to take time to do those things for their own mental health is really powerful. Yeah, I mean, there's so much here um, for parents to, you know, really sit and think about as well. Um, you know, it's not just, it's, it's not, it's multifaceted, like we have to look at so many different things. But as you were talking about a lot of these things, um, it, it's important for parents to also try to practice a lot of these things themselves so that they're mm -hmm. able to give that space to their kids to, to do all of those things. You were talking about imagery. And I know that while we were getting trained, we were, we were taught to really think about um, imagery and using that to almost like uplift yourself in various moments. Um, and it helps and it helps so much. But when you are a parent, you can't just expect your child to do a lot of these things in isolation without making that a part of the fabric of your household. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so how have you been seeing that work with um, the families that you work with? Well, I think it's so powerful to have parental involvement, you know, and I think that's one also it can be one weakness of the traditional system because a lot of times especially with teenagers they go to therapy just by themselves and then the parents aren't really there to know what they're hearing and help <clears throat> be able to reinforce it so um in the clinical work that i do and also the online course that i have that really walks families through this whole process in a home-based way um there's a kid and teen course, but there's also a parent course because parenting a child with anxiety is very counterintuitive. We think that our job as a parent is to keep our kids comfortable and happy and feeling very safe and secure, but a child that is particularly anxious, we can get in a pattern of excessive accommodation and reassurance that only sends the message that's opposite of what we want to send. It sends the message you're fragile, I have to protect you, um, be careful. And of course we want our kids to be safe, happy and comfortable, but sometimes we contribute to their world shrinking because we accommodate these fears and really anxiety then becomes a tyrant in our household. 
Um, so I recently did a TEDx talk and I talked some about how it's so important as parents to be able to send the message of reassurance, like really from deep down, not like just saying, oh, it's going to be okay, but really having a sense ourselves that things will be okay, that we trust that our kids can succeed, that they can make it um, and not buy into the competitive worldview and this angst, because I think we as parents are often anxious. We're afraid that maybe we're not doing it right. We're afraid that our kids won't have the right friends, that they won't be in the right activities, that they won't do well enough, that they won't perform, that they won't, you know, be able to have all these opportunities. But that um, it undermines our own ability to really be a strong, grounded influence for them. So we do definitely need to not only just practice these techniques to arrive at this place, but we need to, to really come to the place of, of truly having assurance and peace that we can offer our kids. Yeah. And, you know, when you're talking about that, like the first thing that came to my mind was how, you know, just parents being in the state of, of anxiety as well, constantly second guessing themselves and thinking um, is probably also one reason why kids younger and younger are now coming up with so much more mm -hmm. anxiety, right? Or that we're seeing more of them. Um, and they, it's not necessary for them to really understand the, the world that's around them, but they're absorbing those feelings, that energy. Um, and then it's mm -hmm. manifesting in their behavior, in their, in the way that they um, just feel in general um, mm -hmm. and so it's not necessarily something that is for like an, an older age or age group or like teens but it's showing up a lot earlier in the first mm -hmm. few years of life mm -hmm. and just to kind of reiterate the power that parental presence and energy has it was interesting when I was doing my training in pediatric self-hypnosis I was saying to my mentor, like, what about the little babies? What about the toddlers? How do you help them with these tools? And he said, I work with the mother and the mother regulates her breathing, um, down regulates her nervous system. And it's like the baby or the toddler just matches that. And, and we know the power of the mirroring that happens with a, a parent and a very small infant um, and even if you go back further, you know, to even the state of the womb and how a very stressed and anxious state can create a high cortisol environment for even a developing baby. And so, you know, traditional cultures have emphasized the importance of supporting mothers, even, you know, as they're carrying babies before they're ever born, you know? And I think that that is wisdom that we should return to of really supporting mothers to help them feel, feel very embraced and supported during this time of caring a child. 
Yeah, and, and research now is showing more and more that even a little bit of stress for expecting mothers is having a, a neurodevelopmental impact on the babies, whether it's severe mm -hmm. or not is, is something that I think research is going to show over time. But even small doses of stress um, for, for mothers is having implications on our babies. Mm -hmm. So that ties in exactly yeah. what you're saying. Right. However, I think that there's a risk of moms getting stressed out about avoiding stress. <laughs> so I think that we too can acknowledge that there's also amazing resilience there and that we can, even as we are facing very extreme circumstances, we can get through it and we can help our kids through it. Um, the trauma research, even from the 90s, talks about how having the influence of one supportive adult really can buffer the effects of toxic and chronic stress for kids. And, and so I think that's really important to acknowledge that, you know, sometimes we can't find an environment that is stress-free. In fact, none of us truly can, but, but we can just constantly be working to reconnect and recenter with those grounding practices that help us feel well and calm and that it's really a priority like that we can have permission to take care of our emotional health as parents because it really will pay off yeah and especially for for parents that are um dealing with children with anxiety or stress or you know various mental health conditions for them the the need to take that that time for themselves is even more because their their job is so much harder it's mm -hmm. it, it's around the clock they're constantly you know just alert and on point and and the expectation off of them is way more um, and so it's kind of important to allow them to take that space to kind of regroup and, and like you said, ground themselves, get themselves back in, 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 in a better headspace um, yes. for their children. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so um, when we talk about, you know, when we talk about all of these things, how can parents, so we've talked a little bit about cognitive, um, you know, reassuring kids with certain language but how else can parents parent children with anxiety mm -hmm. well um again going like taking a few steps back i think setting up a lifestyle that supports emotional wellness you know from helping kids get the sleep they need helping kids have healthy diets that where they're, so they're not having these spikes and drops of blood sugar from highly processed high sugar foods, um, helping kids have um, the opportunity to move their bodies regularly. And, and you, like you said, you can't expect a child like, oh, go exercise and where the whole rest of the family is sitting on the couch watching TV. You have to make it a family culture. Um, and then being very intentional and balanced about screen time use, because we know that excessive screen time can affect emotional health and um, the, and it can take the time that we otherwise would be taking, moving our bodies, um, connecting with people and building actual face-to-face -face relationships and 
doing those kinds of things that actually enrich our souls. Um, so those are four kind of background things. Um, but a general approach to um, parenting a child, you know, who has anxiety or has that tendency is, is helping to encourage them to see their strength, not swooping into rescue and, and really just kind of communicating, I'm here with you. Yes, this may be uncomfortable. It may not feel um, completely pleasant to, to face certain fears, but, but helping your child actually face them. Because I love, um, I've, I've worked with the psychologist Bill O'Hanlon, who's based in the US, and I love his analogy. He talks about how anxiety is kind of like an invisible fence. Like, you know, how dogs are kept in with this invisible fence that is buried underground. And if they cross that fence, they'll get zapped. And so they stay inside this barrier. And, and the anxious feelings that come are kind of like that zap that comes to the dog. Um, and, and if we constantly avoid the momentary discomfort of facing fear and opportunity, then we will be confined. So just helping our kids take courage at that moment of stepping over. And so not making excessive accommodations to say, oh, you, you don't want to you know, call this person. Okay, I'll do it for you. Or you don't want to order at the restaurant, I'll do it for you. you know, um, just stepping back and saying, you can do this. You really can, I have full faith in you. And of course, we sometimes have to take baby steps, but really giving kids the opportunity to face the fears and the worries head on. Yeah. And, you know, it, as parents, we tend to, it doesn't come from, from a bad place, but it's just this need of parents to protect, right? That's right. Like our first instinct. And because of that, we try to, to protect our children when we're seeing that they're struggling and that they, that you know, whether it's in certain circumstances or with certain people, we it, it's easier to swoop in and try to take control to protect them. But it's harder mm -hmm. as parents to kind of give that space and allow them to kind mm -hmm. of, they might fall, they might make a few mistakes, but to really pull themselves up. Um, mm -hmm. And so from, you know, when I'm listening to you talk, I'm just kind of thinking of how important it is for parents to, um, to create boundaries, right? And so whether it is like you'd said for sleep or for diet or for working out, um, creating boundaries and saying, this is what you need to do. And so these are my expectations as, as parents and then allowing them to work within those boundaries. And so even when, when you talk about things like, you know, social interaction or, um, or you know, just, just, allowing them to make a few mistakes you kind of set that boundary for them saying this is your safe space within this you can do so much mm -hmm. right and I think you know as a mom of eight boys I will say I've had some pretty anxious moments I you know my tendency would be don't climb the tree don't run don't do this sport but I've had to really quiet myself and quiet my own anxieties because I think that you know, of course, 
we will step in if we see our child doing something that we truly um, have a specific internal warning about, or, you know, if we feel like that they are truly in danger, that is our job to protect them in those circumstances. But so often we um, say, no, stop, be careful when they're not really in any major danger. Like maybe the worst thing that would happen would be that they'd sprain their finger or something like that. Like, um, and so I've had to ask myself, do I want boys that climb trees? Yes, I do. I want, I want my kids to go and do and be and experience. And sometimes it's, it's, it's been difficult, like even to, you know, I have my oldest son, he's in his twenties and he has wanted to go and do an internship in the middle of a big city by himself. And, um, and he did that, but of course, as a mom, I had feelings about that. Um, but it was, the greatest thing for him to go and see that he could do that. Yeah, it's it's allowing them to flourish, but giving them that platform where they can then stand up for themselves. Um, and mm -hmm. a lot of times us parents, we tend to project some of our own anxiety onto them. So if we're trying to like stop them from doing certain things, um, like you said, you had to stop and ask yourself, why am I, uh, what am I feeling about this? It's really about how we're feeling about it in and of ourselves rather than you know our children because they're going to learn and and feed off of what and how we behave right yes yeah um and so just taking a, a different approach to anxiety um one of the things that we tend to see a lot of is is anxiety come up in children with other conditions so whether <laughs> it's adhd or, or odd right um and, but all, one of the things that is pretty consistent amongst all of these children is that they have certain, um, they, they have anxiety of different forms, right? Mm -hmm. And so for parents, when they're trying to work with their children with, um, you know, some, some diagnoses as well, or, or more complicated um, conditions, how can they approach anxiety in that space? Mm-hmm. Um, it reminds me of a, an excerpt from a book called um, The Self-Driven Child. It's by William Stixred. And he, I think he's quoting another psychologist who said <laughs> that um, the things that tend to make us anxious, he uses the acronym NUTS, N-U-T-S, N, novelty, U, unpredictability, T, threat to ego, and S, sense of control or the lack of their, you know, the lack thereof. And I think when you bring it, break it down to those aspects, then you can see how different conditions would lend themselves to anxiety. For example, um, kids who have ADHD often are continually put in places where their behavior is frowned upon. And so they, they constantly are feeling like people don't like them, people are annoyed with them, people are, um, you know, that they, they're in trouble in some way. And so this is a huge threat to their ego. And so with ADHD specifically, I really encourage parents to help, well, first of all, to see their kids' strengths and gifts themselves, but also then to help their kids see those things and to really put them in environments where they can thrive. So 
sometimes, you know, as we're trying to help our child grow and develop certain weaker areas, you know, we don't want to completely accommodate and, and never put them in, in, in contexts that will stretch them. But also, we don't want to always put them in contexts where they're going to fail miserably. <laughs> so it's finding the balance um, so they can have their egos supported, you know, in a good way, <laughs> um, that they can feel cherished and celebrated. Um, and then I think also setting appropriate boundaries, um, like you were talking about. So sometimes there can be kind of an imbalance of power where a child, and particularly a child who has some extra struggles, they become sort of the center of the family and they derail family plans and they, like everyone in the family starts revolving around this person and their needs. And, and so I think that it's important to take stock in how much power an individual in a family is having. And, you know, it's hard to limit certain things like sometimes people have legitimate needs that need to be addressed you know medical appointments and and of course the family can rally around them in a good way but it's just really important that the other children in the family also get the attention that they need and that um that parents are thoughtful and observant about how the dynamics are being affected. Yeah, I think that's a great point because a lot of times the, we become so hyper-focused on that one child who needs the extra help or whose behavior just kind of allows all the focus to be towards them that, that the other kids tend to fall on the wayside, right? We don't really <laughs> think of a, a lot of um, their struggles and that's that's another source of anxiety for those children, right? It's just like you had said, from giving them a place of security. So it's not just for a child, say, for example, with ADHD, by putting them in situations where they're feeling more secure, right? Like where they're feeling validated for, for doing something good rather than being in a situation where it's negative. But then also the siblings have that opportunity to be to, to be able to shine and to show that, you know, they have a place and that they, they feel secure with their feelings. So um, I, I love that you bring that up. But, you know, for conditions like um, ODD, right, so for oppositional defiance disorder, which tends to be a lot harder for a lot of parents to, to deal with um, than ADHD, um, the, I, the, from what I've been learning about and, and talking to parents with, those children are, the, their anxiety is just on another level, right? Like they're just very, um, just, you know, they, they act out a lot more and, and they're easily triggered. But also from, from what I get from parents is that it the source of it really is is anxiety, right? But would the approach for parents be slightly different in those conditions? Well, I think, um, you know, so often kids who are getting in trouble a lot, um, one of the one of the big things we have to look at as parents is how we are feeling towards that child because we can start carrying baggage sort of against that child and starting to expect them to fit into a certain category. And so I think that with all these things, including anxiety, 
and include, you know, including focus issues and defiant behavior, really trying to check our own expectations of our kids and really seeing the possibilities, seeing that it can be a possibility for them to be different and to really be watching for the exceptions where they're surprising us and, and, and doing things in a new way because that can help unlock their own potential to themselves that they can start seeing, oh, I did focus really well for that period or I was really agreeable for this family outing, you know, um, because I think we can get into trouble as parents when we start looking at kids like they're trying to do something to us. They're trying to upset us, trying to push our buttons, you know, but where we really see that usually there is a skill that's lacking or an emotional issue that is unresolved. It's like, you know, the iceberg metaphor where the behavior is just the tip of the iceberg, but a lot of times there are a lot of emotions underneath and we can't let the emotions derail the whole situation and think, oh, well, there are a lot of emotions. So I can't confront this child and expect something of them. We still have to set the expectations. Um, and like I said before, sometimes incrementally to help them grow and improve, but we are doing kids no favor when we allow them to be disrespectful and, um, and disregarding of, you know, others' feelings and experiences and, and even authority figures. I think we have mixed, we have ambivalence towards authority in our current society. And that sometimes as parents, you know, makes us feel like maybe we shouldn't have um, you know, an authoritative role, but it is important for there to be leadership in our families and we can step into that and, and really set boundaries and not just talk and say, no, please don't, no, don't do this. Okay. But actually take action and, and, um, set our the environment in, in a way that our kids can more likely succeed and and really follow our expectations. For example, you know, if, if we're saying, oh, it's time to go to bed and our kids, you know, we can't make them sleep. So we have to recognize where our control ends and, and begins, but we can influence the environment of their room. We can say, no, you may not be on a screen after this time of day. And if you're going to be playing with your toys rather than being in your bed, then we'll take all the toys out of your room. You know, like we need to be willing to do um, even drastic things to, to really create the environment where our kids can thrive and where we can truly be leaders and guides. Yeah. And I think it's also about parents recognizing that by doing a lot of those things, it doesn't make them a bad parent or a tough parent, but rather you're doing that to help guide them and to support them. Um, like mm -hmm. you said at the beginning, really giving them this positive space, right, in mm -hmm. which they can then, um, you know, do things themselves and then they can push um, their own thinking a little bit more. And, and, and try to practice that more. So that, that makes perfect sense. Um, before we go, one of the things that I wanted to ask, and, and I don't know how long 
that would take. But um, when, at what point does anxiety start to change into depression and, and how does that start to look different? Mm-hmm. And that's a really important question because there is a high percentage of anxious kids who then become depressed. And, and one of the things that allows that to happen is when anxiety just escalates unchecked because often anxiety, it's like a habit of thought and it does tend to reinforce itself like we talked about earlier. And as we avoid circumstances, situations, opportunities, then it starts affecting our sense of self and our our sense of self-efficacy. We stop believing that we can do things because we're not having those moments of triumph. Um, And as we're isolating ourselves, we feel lonely and alone. And and that isolation can contribute very strongly to depression. And so that's all the more reason to address anxiety early. Um, So some clues that anxiety may be shifting to depression, you know, it's partly you know, sometimes with our older teens, we don't know what's going on in their head. Um, but when that avoidance becomes more extreme and affecting their sleep, their appetite, and they're really kind of closing themselves off, you know, spending a lot of times in their room um, and, um, and sometimes they will share a little bit of their self-talk with us saying, I'm just not good, good enough, or nobody likes me, or these are thought distortions of a depressed person. Um, when they, there starts being an aspect of hopelessness and a sense of being stuck, a sense of despair. So anxiety unchecked can lead people to that place. Yeah. And, and what we're seeing more and more is that our kids are are surrounded a lot by this conversation as well, right? So you hear a lot more, uh, a lot many kids just outrightly saying, oh, I just feel so depressed. And sometimes it can just also be um, an issue of just kind of jumping from feelings of anxiety directly onto depression. And it's alarming for a parent to to hear those words coming out of their child. But I think it makes sense with the way how, how you're framing it, that even though it is, if, if they are expressing it as depression, it's really linking it back down to um, anxiety, just piling up on itself for, for a long period of time unchecked. Um, how can parents help support their kids with that? Well, I think it's important to have an open dialogue with their kids and um, really take what they say seriously. And I think that there's a balance because um, I have some clients come, you know, be brought to me by their parents saying, you know, my, my son is saying he wants to die, you know, and, and so it does take some careful investigation to see, is this child truly suicidal or are they basically using elevated language or inflammatory language to say, I'm struggling. Um, and, and so that does require ferreting out and warrants seeing a professional, um, if your child is really talking like that. Um, it is important to acknowledge that, 
you know, you mentioned that sometimes kids will say, oh, I'm so depressed or I'm so stressed or I'm so, and sometimes these terms are thrown around casually. And so they don't always correlate with a diagnosable condition. But like we stated earlier, you know, the diagnosis to me doesn't really matter. It's, it's, is the child struggling? Is their functionality being affected? Is their enjoyment of life being affected? And also just how much energy are they using on these emotions? Um, so if any of that rings true for you and when you think about your child, then it probably is time to start looking at some of these tools that can really, um, that have been proven to improve emotional wellness. Um, there's research done by Daniel Goleman on emotional intelligence that really having emotional intelligence, which basically has four quadrants to it, it's self-awareness, self-regulation, empathy, and social skills. These things are what predict our children's future success and happiness more than socioeconomic status, education, and the things that we all are scrambling to provide for our kids. So we need to invest some time and attention into their emotional state. And that's what will be the truest, best gift to them. Yeah, you know, parenting really needs to, um, to, to change, with at least with what we're prioritizing a lot with our children, especially in the world that we're in today. You know, we're talking at, at completely opposite ends of the world, but but the issues are the same. You know, the the, the struggles of, of parenting is really the same. Like we're all trying to run towards things and getting things, but we're, we're kind of losing track of what's at the heart of it all. It's just kind of providing a lot of that safety, security, um, but space for kids to, to thrive. And, and, and then also allowing that, that channel for them to be able to communicate with us to be able to express what feelings they have or, you know, what experiences that they're going through. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. How can families um, reach out to you? I know you have a few different programs. Um, how can they reach out to you? So the, the Clearinghouse website where you can kind of access all the resources, it's drmarywild.com. So D-R-M-A-R-Y-W-I-L-D-E dot com. And the anxiety course specifically is at drmarywild.com forward slash anxiety hyphen courses. And that's something that parents can sign up for and gain immediate access to. And there is an online course for the child or teen. It's, it's gauged more toward kids between eight and 15 in the, that ballpark. Um, and then there's the course for the parent that can be done simultaneously with workbooks and, and um, also monthly support to have questions answered. And so it's a really powerful tool. If, if you just think, oh my goodness, I need to address my children's emotional intelligence, but I don't know how to go about it. Then this is just like, okay, it's all laid out. It's yeah. laid out for you in this. So that would be a wonderful resource. Okay. No, perfect. I'm going to add those to the show notes too for any of the parents that want a link. Um, and 
thank you so much for coming on. This is such an important conversation to have um, and to be able to shed light on and, and to discuss with parents different ways. So more in integrative, more holistic ways of looking at um, these conditions that our children are going through. So I'm really thankful that you took the time to come on today. Thank you for having me. It was my pleasure. I hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you for listening to this podcast and spending your precious time with us at Helping Children Thrive. If you find this podcast helpful, please share it with your family, friends, and others who may benefit. If you haven't already, hit subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Please take a few moments to rate and review this podcast on the review section of Apple Podcasts. This will help other parents, caregivers, and professionals find this show more easily. Visit momenasaleemcoaching.com to post comments on today's show or ask any questions about upcoming episodes. And sign up to receive a weekly update. Helping Children Thrive is not a substitute for working with a qualified healthcare professional. The information shared here is not intended to diagnose and treat your child. Before implementing anything discussed here on the podcast, make sure to consult your healthcare practitioner. See you all next week.